0: Welcome to The Balance of Power on WKXL AM and FM in Concord, New Hampshire, and 101.9 in beautiful downtown Manchester, New Hampshire. We are podcast wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Paul Hodes. I'm here today with Alicia Preston, conservative commentator, strategist, writer, and Republican of Conscience, Um, a really smart person. Our buddy Matt is AWOL today on vacation with his family, so we might call today Imbalance of Power. Alicia and I are going to talk about all kinds of things in the headlines. And Alicia, today I want to start with something really newsworthy, something that I think our listeners can relate to, no matter what their political persuasion, no matter where they are, or what they're doing. And that is this, in the headlines today, I read the following, for businesses already dealing with rising costs and staff shortages, the latest supply chain crunch could be the last straw, or to be more precise, the last pint. Some brewers in the Boston area say they're running low on carbon dioxide, the ingredient that makes beer and soft drinks fizzy, a shortage that illustrates the tenuous state of a manufacturer to consumer delivery process that was taken for granted before the pandemic. What's a beer drinker to do? What, What happens when we run out of carbon dioxide and what can we do to fix it? OK, well, my
1: problem, this is serious. I did not know about this situation, this crisis until you told me right before we came on air. And while I don't drink beer, do you know what requires CO2? Those delicious canned spritzers, those fruity, right. delicious canned. Sp- I love those suckers. That's right. So I need to know if this affects my delicious canned spritzers.
0: It does, because it's soft drinks as well. Carbon dioxide is what makes all kinds of soft drinks fizzy it's what makes seltzer seltzer it what it's what makes it what, it, it is what differentiates it from flavored water
1: you know if this so were january it's, it's a, i wouldn't you know in january i wouldn't have as much of a problem with it but in august you like to sit on a porch or a deck with either your beer or your fruity spritzer but fun fact i just learned this you know one of the problems that's causing the supply chain crisis i did not know this there is an extinct volcano in the Jackson Dome, an area of Mississippi, that provides naturally occurring carbon dioxide, and that is used across the country and makers, and it is currently contaminated.
0: Extinct- oh my God. You mean I, an extinct volcano in yes, Mississippi? I'm, I'm reading that this. supplies in our carbon dioxide. The
1: Boston Business Journal <laughs> says we are supplied a lot of our carbon dioxide by an extinct volcano in Mississippi, and it is currently contaminated. And it's contaminating oh, man. our man,
0: this, yep. this, this is serious news. But wait a second. Is carbon dioxide also what's responsible for climate change and global warming? Does this mean that the more beer and fizzy soda we drink, the worse we're making car- climate change? <laughs> or have I got my gases wrong?
1: I will make some sacrifices in life to protect the environment. Not having a fuzzy spritzer in the summer. Just isn't one of the sacrifices I'm willing to make, Paul.
0: Okay. I I think you and I, you know, I love to find areas of agree, agreement between my far left liberal progressive politics and your more conservative uh, approach. So This is something where there's bipartisan, bipartisan agreement. I call on all representatives on both sides of the aisle to immediately take action to solve the carbon dioxide crisis.
1: I stand with Paul Hodes in that request.
0: (laughs) You know, this is an example. This is an example of political agreement, the kind of functioning that we could only wish upon our government. So now let's turn. To another subject. Nancy Pelosi, Taiwan. What's the story? What's going on? And what are you thinking about it?
1: Well, as we speak right now, um, at this point of this recording, she is scheduled to arrive in Taiwan within a matter of an hour or two. And you know what? I, I agree with very little that Nancy Pelosi does, but I'm all for this trip. And the reason is because China said we can't. And who the heck is China? to tell the United States of America what our elected leaders can and cannot do. They can say we can't go to China if they want, because that's their China. They have say they don't get to tell us where the rest in the world we can travel. So I say up your nose, China. We're a sovereign nation, something you have no comprehension of. And if our leaders want to go to Taiwan, that is their right. And we don't have to listen to you.
0: You know, in, in geopolitical terms, obviously, we're dealing with the Russian aggression in Ukraine. And we now see Russia moving to um, have this phony annexation of uh, the occupied um, eastern parts of Ukraine. It's it's an unbridled, naked aggression of the kind uh, the world has not really seen since World War II. And there are many people who are concerned that it has given China uh some uh, incentive, uh, theoretically, to think about doing the same thing with Taiwan, an ally of the United States, and obviously uh, the relationships are fraught. Um, we are hoping to have some China's some help in some way um, uh, with Russia, but that's uh, hard to find. China has moved aggressively throughout the world to make the world its own market. We are tied in economically with China in terms of our uh, consumer economy. Uh, And, uh, you know, the world can little afford, uh, frankly, more aggression and and another war. There are many who look at um, Pelosi's trip as some sort of provocation um, as opposed to uh, routine uh, American politics or routine American you know visit to an ally and they're concerned that this will uh, uh, cause China to uh, act aggressively. What do you think? do we should we care Do we care? Is that a real is that a real threat or uh, is China the kind of country that needs to see that we are strong, that we are steady, that we are, um, uh, supporting our ally, and we're not going to be cowed in any way by um, any intimidation uh, or uh, concern of the kind I've mentioned.
1: I think we need to be the latter, and I think Nancy Pelosi going there is the latter. We have to let China know that we support our allies, just like we let Russia know we support. Uh, Ukraine. We do that through funding and through messaging as opposed to visiting there in the middle of a war, which I agree with as well. Um, But, you know, there are some who are saying this could start World War III. China's not going to start a war with the United States of America over a politician visiting Taiwan. It's not going to happen. Are there other diplomatic um, places that could be affected? Sure. But We can't kowtow to what another nation tells us we can and cannot do. We have said we are allies with Taiwan. Now, we wobbled the other day on whether we believe it's a sovereign nation or not, and that's fine. You got to walk a line. But I think the world needs to know we will stand with our allies. I think it sends a message to Russia. I think it sends a message to North Korea. I think it sends a message around the world that says, look, at the end of the day, the United States of America will stand with our allies and we will help them in the way we diplomatically feel is the best if there is an aggression toward any of them.
0: So let's just stay on foreign affairs for a moment, um, because I I talked a little bit about Ukraine and my question to you about about China, the United Nations and Turkey uh, brokered a deal um, and they brokered a deal with Russia and Ukraine, Um, we are in the midst of a war there in the Ukraine, um, the grain exports from Ukraine are critical to the world's supply of food. Ukraine really is the breadbasket in many ways of the world. And there are millions of people around the world who depend on exports of grain uh, from, uh, from Ukraine. And that has been held up. So Russia signs off on the deal um, uh, on July 22nd. But meanwhile, um, instead of merely allowing uh, the Ukrainians to uh, ship the grain, uh, Russia has been bombing Odessa and bombing uh, Ukrainian ports. They signed a deal to say, yes, we'll allow grain to leave. They bomb, they they bomb indiscriminately repeatedly since the grain deal was signed. And finally, finally, a ship or ships have now uh, begun to leave uh, the ports. But do we know whether this bombing is going to stop? Do we know whether they're going to continue to bomb in the face of this deal? And what what does Russia have in mind? How How can they do this? And is there anything the world can do about the deal, stopping the, getting them to stop the bombing and allowing these exports to happen? Because... By the way, the exports are in Russia's interest because Russia has, has, under the sanctions hasn't been able to ship anything itself. So they want to be able to ship into the Black Sea. What's going on with this? What does Putin have in mind?
1: Well, who the heck knows? But this is what happens when you make a deal with the devil, right? You can't trust the signature. And so, yeah, they said, sure, we'll make a deal. You can let these boats out of the port into the Black Sea so they can distribute the needed grain. But then they bomb the place that all the grain is coming through and the people that are bringing it through, and that's in the ports of Odessa. Um, you know, Putin's a terrorist at the end of the day. And and he's a thug and a war criminal. And I don't know how you stop someone who fears no repercussions. And he fears no repercussions because his people are suffering. The unemployment rate in Russia right now is over 40%. People are starving. They're unable to work. And he doesn't care. In a normal country, the leader of the country cares what's happening to the people. That is the driving force of their leadership. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them, that is a driving force of their leadership to do what's good for the nation. And therefore, it stops bad actions. Putin doesn't care what happens to his own people. And therefore, he fears no repercussions. He's worth billions of dollars. He can sit in his ivory towers and be fed, and his family can be, and his people be damned. So short of military action at that point, which I'm not saying is a good idea, I don't know how you stop a madman who fears nothing in retaliation.
0: Meanwhile, uh, Putin is moving forward, not only with the continued indoctrination of young people in his country and not only with um this indiscriminate war that targets civilians not only is he a war criminal but he's also now ginned up a phony referendum on annexation uh in the eastern provinces of Ukraine to make them part of Russia um in the Donbass and Donetsk the 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 regions in the east what it what that would do frankly is uh, he's after, and I think this has been part of his endgame all along. He's after um, having a a Russian-controlled land bridge between mainland Russia and the Crimea, um, because of the um, uh, incredible uh, reserves there of oil and gas, because of the ports, because of what it means to Black Sea, to the access to the Black Sea, um, to controlling. Ukraine's shipment of grain and other foodstuffs out of its ports in the Black Sea, it creates for, geopolitically a much more uh, powerful Russia. I think that's what his endgame has really been uh, all along. And I guess the question is whether he's going to stop there, whether or not there is whether do, whether or not this grain deal is some light in this darkness of war and whether um, it is an opening for the West to say, "Okay, um, uh, enough's enough. you got to stop this now. And I don't know what teeth we have other than increased sanctions because, as you said, and I agree, we don't see a a military option uh, for the West to stop other than, frankly, the, the proxy war that we are conducting. Um, including, by the way, treating wounded Ukrainians in our hospitals um, in Germany um, and providing um, shipments of arms. Uh, how how much patience does the West have? How much unity does the West have? How much do we need uh, in the face of somebody like Putin?
1: Well, and this is why I've been a little disappointed of late of some members of my Republican Party and not so much those in Washington, because I think most of our Congress people and senators understand the big global interest in ramifications here. They've been briefed. They've been around for a while. They understand. Um, there are a lot of candidates in the Republican Party that are running to stop giving money to Ukraine, stop giving aid. It's not our fight. It's not our problem. That's ignorant of world history and it's ignorant of um, the future if that is allowed. We have to be involved and we have to be involved because if we are not, Putin will gain more power. And that is something that affects the entire globe and the global economy. And I think we need to step back and realize this isn't about just America or American isolationism. Stopping Putin where he is, not just because Ukraine is a friend, but because it is dangerous in the short term future to the global setup and the geopolitical economy for him to get any more power or land or access to resources or money. And that is what will be allowed to happen if he is allowed to continue. And I don't know, like I said, how to stop him. But I know what we need to do is continue supporting Ukraine, continue to support our allies um, in NATO that are evaluating on a day-to-day basis what to do next to stop this man. And and I support America's involvement um, right up uh, until the point we, you know, we we would put boots on the ground right up until there. I'm with America supporting them every way they can.
0: So let's turn to some homegrown uh, terrorism. Uh, January 6th, the insurrection, Mm. uh, the January 6th committee, um, the, late, the last hearings, the latest hearings showed um, uh, former President Trump sitting in his dining room watching uh, the riot unfold on television without doing anything. Merrick Garland gave an interview um, to NBC um, stressing that no one was above the law, that without fear or favor, uh, the Just- Justice Department was investigating everybody and anybody who had anything to do with the attempt to stop um, uh, or overturn the legitimate results of the election, which many took um, uh, some comfort in, um, seeing that Merrick Garland was prepared to act because there's uh, we have been on this show back and forth about uh, the benefits, detriments, political implications, um, accountability and justice of bringing uh, Donald Trump to justice for his role uh, in inspiring the insurrection and uh, and events around it. And meanwhile, uh, when thinking about prosecution and jail time, uh, a Capitol rioter named Guy Ruffett, who was uh, found guilty in March. Um, in connection with the January 6th events, including obstructing an official proceeding, threatening his kids to keep them from reporting into law enforcement. He was a recruiter for a militia gang. He brought a gun to the riot. He boasted of leading the charge into the Capitol. He threatened uh, both Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. Um, He was sentenced to more than seven years in prison, three years of probation, $2,000 in fines and mental health treatment. Um, what about that kind of sentence? That is, I think, the longest sentence that's been handed out. Uh, what kind of message does it send uh, to others, and what kind of message does it send to Donald Trump?
1: You know, it's a really long sentence, and at first, I was like, "Wow, that's that's something." And then I read what this man said and planned, and and he, you know, was apparently on video saying and this is graphic, but I think we have to understand it. He wants to drag Nancy Pelosi by her leg down the stairs of the Capitol, so her head hits every step. I I, I am dumbfounded by the ability of people to be so radicalized into hating a political opponent, and that's all it is, a political opponent, to the point of imagining that level of violence. This man was carrying a firearm in the Capitol. Um, we have been told repeatedly that obviously they didn't plan an insurrection. There were no weapons. There were weapons. There weren't many that actually made it in with weapons, but there were weapons. This man was one of them. I think it sends a big message that this has to stop. Now, I actually feel a little bit bad for this man's family. His daughters were interviewed. They're obviously very upset at the length of the sentence he got. um, But they understand he was radicalized and he allowed himself to be radicalized. And they put the blame on Donald Trump. And they put it squarely on Donald Trump, a man that their father was completely devoted to, to the point of losing seven years of his life as a free man. Um, I think we have to see strong, you know, sentences for the most violent and violent, you know, those who the criminal threatening of severe violence. And I think we're seeing it. I don't know what message it sends to Donald Trump, Um, if any. I, I just don't. Uh, but I think it sends a strong message to anyone who wants to commit acts of violence on the sacred grounds of our capital again, that it's not going to be stood for. You know,
0: once upon a time, uh, when I was a prosecutor, uh, I was prosecuting a big white collar case. And in my closing to the jury, I held up a pen and I said, you know, this is this is a, a, a crime not of violence, but a monetary crime. But sometimes this pen can be as uh, significant as a gun in the commission of a crime. And I guess I was talking about the fact that you don't actually have to pull a trigger to be guilty of a crime. And for Donald Trump taking a look at this and hearing Merrick Garland say what he said, and knowing that the Justice Department is investigating everybody and as recently, Uh, had grand juries asking people questions about donald trump and his role and given the evidence we've seen i'm hoping from where i sit that donald trump is quaking in his boots thinking about what might come for him so let's go back across the seas um president biden uh, took to the airwaves to announce to the nation that there was a drone strike in kabul afghanistan on Aya Zawahari, the number two to Osama bin Laden, who planned 9-11. Zawahari believed that attacking the U.S. and allied countries was essential to undermining pro-Western Arab regimes that were standing in the way of uniting Muslims. Back in 1998, he said, quote, To kill Americans and their allies, civilian and military is an individual duty for every Muslim who can do it in every country in which it is possible to do it. Now, uh, clearly, um, I mean, these guys were were just off the reservation. Muslims do not believe in killing all Americans, civilian and military. Uh, The Muslim faith is a great ancient faith. That is a peaceful faith, this radical splinter crazy group, Al Qaeda then and ISIS and, and the jihadists uh, have caused the world untold misery without any uh, good effect. So Zawahari was a senior advisor to bin Laden when Al Qaeda bombed U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania killing more than, I mean, just killing hundreds of people. He planned the bombing of the USS Cole, which killed 17 US sailors, wounded more, planned the attacks on the World Trade Center and Pentagon. Um, He was taken out by a drone while standing on a balcony in Kabul, Afghanistan. Big deal, no deal. Um, Does it prove that our country is firm in its resolve? to uh, continue to hunt down uh, those who perpetrate violence. And what about using drones? Um, We don't have any more military presence in Afghanistan. We have a drone from that country, leaving it in a state of misery. Uh, There's lots to say about that. But what about this long time that it took to bring Zawahari the ultimate form of justice? Um, There was no trial. Uh, he was killed by a drone. Um, there are many who are very concerned about America's use of drones in terms of uh, the morality and ethics uh, of using drones. Um, on the other hand, a this targeted strike, apparently no civilians were injured. Um, it was very precise. And this is an undisputed bad guy terrorist. What are your thoughts?
1: I, I, I champion it. I think it's fantastic. Um, I don't think a terrorist like he uh, gets a trial. I think, you know, you, you're, you're a warlord, you are a man of mass destruction, and we get to blow you up off your balcony in Kabul, Afghanistan, wow. and I'm glad we did it. Look, the use of drones has done many good things, one of which is uh, it keeps danger away from our military members, our troops who are there. They're able to do it from afar. They've gotten much more precise in the past. They couldn't necessarily be as precise. I read a report that President Biden wanted to ensure there were no civilian casualties, including his um, own family. And this was a way to be able to do it with complete precision. And And it it worked. Mission accomplished. It's achieved. There are other issues to... Consider, and that is, you know, it's reported that he moved back into Kabul after America withdrew from Afghanistan. Thought he'd feel comfortable there. I'm thrilled that he wasn't comfortable there, that Americans still have assets or eyes in the region. It does make me a little concerned about what kind of terrorist cells are growing again in Afghanistan. That's where they were allowed to build themselves and spread their. Uh, their propaganda, their lies, their extremism, and their radicalization, and what that means not only for the region, but for the ultimate goal of this sect of bad guys who do want to wipe out we infidels that are the West.
0: So what happens in Afghanistan, from which we've withdrawn, um, if in fact we see a repeat of what happened at the end the end of the last century, um, with growing terrorist cells being harbored by the Taliban, who, by the way, have broken every promise that they made to the world about how they would treat their citizens. Every single promise has been broken, totally untrustworthy. And um, uh, do we have any I mean, is that going to be grounds for some military intervention again from the US uh, in terms of dealing with any of these cells if they grow? Um, and is that a, a reason to go in with the military as opposed to uh, going in to deal with the Taliban who have breached all their promises about how they treat their c- citizens and are and are, in fact, um, governing a, a a country in starvation and ruin?
1: You know, we can't turn back the clock, but even at the time, I said I I completely disagreed with 100% withdrawal from Afghanistan generals with experience in this with far more knowledge than I do agreed, and said you could have left something as small as 5000 troops there and you could have kept stability in the area. And instead we abandoned it completely our our withdrawal was an absolute disaster as, as it proceeded and the aftermath I think most of us knew. Like, like you don't negotiate or make deals with Putin. You don't do it with the Taliban. They're terrorists. They're bad people. They rape women. They, they keep them in in complete hidden garb. They, they su- repress them. They suppress them. They don't let them work. They don't let them drive. They, they beat them. They stone them in the streets. They have no value of human life. We could have prevented where we are today by leaving a minimal amount of troops just as a message that it can't go back to the way it was. And we didn't do that now. So we didn't do that.
0: Can I, let me ask you. So, so you, you did. You think Donald Trump never should have made that deal?
1: I don't think Donald Trump should have made the deal at all, and I don't think Joe Biden should have carried it out. I, I didn't just. I didn't agree with Donald Trump when he did it, and I didn't agree with Joe Biden when he executed it, and I didn't agree with Joe Biden when he said, "Well, Donald Trump made the deal, so I had to follow it." No, you didn't. You could have backed out of that deal because it was a bad deal, and you know that was governing from PR on both of their behalfs well, we made this campaign promise, so we're going to stick to it. Okay, the stability of the world kind of matters more than your campaign promise. And and here we are today. And the reason that that bad guy was on that balcony in Kabul is because we withdrew 11 months ago. Now, we can't just go back in today, but it does lead to what does the future hold? Will there be more terrorist acts around the world that are being grown in, in the you know land of Afghanistan? And how will we react? I don't know the answer.
0: Well, it's certainly true. There was there was never going to be any good way to withdraw from a, a, an occupation that we probably never should have been in. I mean, if we'd been surgical about dealing uh, with Al Qaeda uh, from the beginning, as opposed to going into Afghanistan and occupying the country, um, uh, that we we wouldn't have been in this uh, in in this situation, and the world wouldn't have been in this situation. So, you know, we we don't have to relitigate all the the flaws of the bush Cheney Rumsfeld uh, policy uh, but we are unfortunately reaping uh, the bitter fruits today and frankly afghanistan is now off uh, american radar screens uh, for for most of us we're thinking about we're thinking about covid we're thinking about ukraine um uh, and and even ukraine is kind of falling off the radar screens for most Americans because our attention span in uh, the media's attention span um is rather short but um uh, the situation with the Taliban isn't good and I do not foresee uh, any further American military intervention uh certainly if Joe Biden as is president and certainly if he wins or when he wins his second term uh I don't see <laughs> any any chance He's not uh, running. F- further military intervention in Afghanistan. Speaking of Joe Biden not running, that's what that's what you say. That's what you think. In uh, There have been, you know, and we talked about it on the show, a lot of chatter uh, among Democrats um, about whether or not Joe Biden would or should run. And uh, that's quieted down a lot. And in fact, last week, I would say last week or two has been A pretty good week for Democrats. I mean, let's face it. uh, It's been a better news than Democrats have had for a long time. And one of the reasons, one of the big reasons was that uh, Chuck Schumer and Democratic senators were able to make a deal with Dino Um, uh, Mr. Manchin, the West Virginia senator who seems to, um, uh, you know, or as the Barowitz report said, he's been thrown out of the Republican Party for making a deal with his fellow Democrats on something that they would not call Build Back Better because that name seems to have had, for some reason, unfortunate connotations. So they called it an inflation-fighting bill. But the Democrats uh, are on the brink, it appears, of passing a really significant piece of legislation. Uh, There's $379 billion for climate change. It reduces the deficit by $300 billion. It extends Obamacare. It gives uh, Medicare the right to negotiate on the most serious um, and expensive cancer drugs uh, over time. It does reduce the deficit, which Joe Manchin has uh, been a, a real hawk about. Um, And fiscal responsibility has not exactly been the watchword of any administration, whether Democrats or Republicans, though Democrats generally reduce deficits and the Republicans sink us into a hole of debt and deficits. But putting that aside, the Dems made this deal with Manchin to the surprise of everybody in Washington. And then the news said Manchin won't say that he supports Biden's reelect. Now our missing buddy Matt robeson has said that he thinks Joe Manchin is the Democrats best friend because by holding uh, the Democrats to a smaller deal, um a what some might call a more balanced deal, uh, but still the most significant climate legislation uh, ever um, Joe Manchin has done the Democrats a favor, and according to other press reports, uh, Chris Coons and Sen- Senator Coons was able to reach Manchin by saying, "Look, you could be a hero here." To which Manchin is said to have replied, "You mean it's like a walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth?" And Coons said exactly. Manchin dusted himself off. He and Schumer, who had been talking, uh, made this deal. Um, big deal? No deal. Uh, Can you admit that it's a good deal and a good week for Democrats?
1: Oh, it's a good week for Democrats because it's, you know, it's a great PR stunt. But look, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 is just a mini build back better. And here's where everyone agrees. Democrats agree. Economists agree. Academics agree. Politicians agree. It will do absolutely nothing to reduce inflation, like absolutely nothing. No one has been able to, from every academic institute that's looked into this, to uh, non-partisan organizations, everyone is in agreement. Whether you love this bill, hate this bill, it doesn't do anything to reduce inflation, and it's called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. So what's going to happen is Democrats enjoy your good week because it sounds great, but November is a long way away. And in November, inflation is still going to be through the roof. We're still going to be spending three times for the eggs. We were a year ago. We're still going to be serving chicken on taco night instead of beef. So enjoy the good week of PR because reality is going to kick back in that the fancy name of the fancy bill that has nothing to do with what it's titled after. We'll do nothing to change the American state affairs come the midterms in November.
0: So uh, I, I get it. I mean, you're, you've made, you know, your argument has been that all people care about is the price of eggs and bread and gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, gas prices have come down. Uh, no single president or party is responsible for inflation. We've had inflation because of supply chain issues and COVID and other things. The Fed. Um, is acting now quite aggressively to deal with inflation and trying to balance um, controlling inflation with interest uh, rate uh, increases against the threat of a recession. It's a very, very fine line in trying to tinker with a multi-trillion dollar economy um, and keep everybody happy. Um, You know, uh, left-leaning economists like Paul Krugman um, think that we can avoid a serious recession, but but think there we very well could face um, some kind of recession that, as I agree with you, would not be good uh, for Democrats if uh, over the next 100 days <clears throat> the economy uh, sinks into a recession. At the same time, um, Democrats have gotten done uh, what they said they would get done, although not in a, in in the form in the complete form that everybody wanted, but there is no major legislation that ever is passed in the total form they want to do. Um, and we are in with this legislation um, making some. We stand to make some real progress on climate change, which is. A 40% reduction in emissions by 2030, not quite the 45% we'd hoped for, but a significant dent, as well as the healthcare provisions um, and other provisions, including a minimum corporate tax, preventing, uh, hopefully, hopefully, preventing corporations like Google and Amazon from paying zero in taxes as they have. Um, but taking, uh, taking away the carried interest loophole. So there are some important things uh, in this. But speaking about November and speaking about the function of Congress, what's with your Republican colleagues in the Senate who, in retaliation for the Democrats passing legislation that is good for America, whether you think it's going to help inflation or not, this legislation is good for America. What's with the Republicans taking it out on our veterans by blocking legislation that would have dealt with the fallout from the burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan that are affecting so many of our returning service members? What kind what kind of political party takes it out on our veterans? What kind of hypocrites are happy to send people off to war, but when they come back will block, legislation designed to help them while they're suffering from the fallout of the toxic burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan. How do you explain it? Now, I often call on you to try to defend the indefensible. And as far as I can tell, this is one of those cases.
1: So there are two perspectives to have here, because sometimes I put on my American citizen hat and sometimes I put on my You know, political consultant hat from a political consulting standpoint, you could not have been more stupid like I I don't understand it had already passed the Senate, it went to the House, it was tweaked with a technical issue in the House so it had to go back to the Senate, and that's when they voted against it from a PR standpoint pass the damn bill. from another standpoint, I'm I'm a little more conflicted, and that's this, and I I should just accept this is how Washington works. I hate how Washington works. I hate how laws are passed in Washington. You know, as a lobbyist in New Hampshire, I get to see how the sausage is made. I like how the sausage is made in New Hampshire. It's pretty clean. In Washington, it's like, here's a really great, important bill, which this burn pit funding for veterans is a hugely important bill. It needs to pass tomorrow. Um, But what we're gonna do is put a bunch of other stuff in there, and what we're gonna say is, if you vote against it, you're a terrible person who hates our veterans, which is exactly what went down. So I I don't like how they process it through that. I think it's it's politicizing a, a piece of legislation that should not be politicized. It's being used to make campaign ads, and it shouldn't have been done that way. That all being said, Republicans get back in the chamber. There's a Toomey Amendment that's going to come in. It's going to fail to get the 60 vote it needs. When that amendment fails, which will be a technical tweak on how the money can be spent, Republicans vote for the damn bill.
0: Well, that seems that seems pretty clear. This that's the Republican of conscience speaking, uh, not only about the dysfunction in in Washington, but but just acting stupid. I mean, come on, people, grow up, but put on your pants, and 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 just stop it. You know, there there are times when you just need to swallow that the other side has a win, and we got to do the right thing, even if, hold our nose and do the right thing. Um, I I am I'm kind of surprised that uh, Mitch McConnell. Didn't exert a little more influence uh, on this, and I can't imagine who 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 was the leader on on this on this craziness. Maybe it was Ted Cruz, maybe it was Marsha Blackburn, maybe it was Josh Hawley. I don't know, but it seems like a real failure on McConnell's part. Does it does it demonstrate does it does it evince some weakening of McConnell's leadership that? That he allowed this kind of stupidity to prevail.
1: Look, I think Mitch McConnell is a brilliant, um, you know, leader when it comes to whipping and and the ramifications and strategy to get things done. Uh, I think people didn't see the backlash coming. I don't think they realized John Stewart was standing outside of the Capitol with a bunch of veterans to celebrate its passage when they killed it, and therefore it became instant national news, which it probably wouldn't have if the cameras weren't already there with John Stewart to celebrate it, I think, and I'm guessing there, but I'm going to guess they didn't foresee that happening, thought they could step back away from it, say, we got to make an amendment, we got to do some technical changes, and then we'll come back and vote for it again. Um, I think Mitch McConnell is going to make sure that his party is in line, and I think it'll be voted on as recently as this week, and again, there's going to be this amendment, the amendment's going to fail, the vote will go forward, and unless you know, I'm completely missing something. And these guys are older than 12 years old. This bill will pass this week.
0: So let me take us back to January 6th for a moment. Um, We heard testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson that after the rally that preceded the insurrection, riot and attempted coup, um, uh, President Trump, Um, got in uh, his SUV, demanded to be taken down to the Capitol so he could stand with his armed militia and murderous troops uh, to help them invade the Capitol. But the uh, Secret Service agent uh, who was with him prevented that from happening. There was back and forth testimony about whether it was true or not. It now appears to have been true. And then we learned that all the text messages from the Secret Service, all of them, from January fifth and sixth were deleted, and the first explanation was, "Well, this was a routine phone changeover." And you know, when friends asked me, "What do you think?" I my initial response was, "Okay, um, I don't know the facts, but that could be a plausible explanation. There was some kind of technical change, and they changed the phones, and they lost the text messages." But then, as things came out, we later learned that. It really wasn't routine, although that a phone changeover was required. It was policy for the agents to keep all their text messages, and the government is supposed to keep all those kinds of official records. And now we've learned that the inspector general charged with oversight uh, over this kind of conduct uh, at the Department of Homeland Security knew about the deleted texts a year ago, but never told anybody. Is this Secret Service Gate? Is it Text Gate? Is it, what's a good name for this? And it's given the January 6th committee um, some grounds to keep on going um, to the consternation of many on the right who are afraid of what else the January 6th committee is going to find.
1: So I'm hoping nothing comes of this. I'm hoping this is all just... clinical er clinical errors of, you know, the the keeping what they're supposed to keep and not doing what they're supposed to. I'm going to hope that because... One thing I I am very supportive of law enforcement. I hold them in the highest regard. And one of the reasons I do that is because they are able to do their job without, you know, injecting a personal bias into it. These are people from the Secret Service down to our local police department who sign up to risk their lives every day that they go to work. And I don't want to know, hear, think, or see that there is a political narrative to anything they do. So I'm going to go, I just hope that it's not. I hope that it was clerical errors. That's the word I was looking for before. Um, and, And, you know, that still has to be cleaned up. That has to be fixed. Protocols have to be put in place. So this can't happen again. But I'm not ready to jump to assume that there was some big conspiracy or deliberate acts of bad acting by members of the Secret Service at this juncture.
0: Well, that's going to wrap it up for us here on Balance of Power. Today's imbalance of power for Paul Hodes. And Alicia Preston and the missing Matt Robeson, we're going to sign off. We'll be back next week with more Balance of Power.